Welcome back to Ordinary People. It's a wet and wintry night here in Portadown. And I'm joined, as always, by Paul and Neil. How's it going, guys? All good here. I'm well, thank you, Andrew. And we're joined tonight by Stephen Blevins. Neil, do you want to introduce Stephen for us? Yes, I can. It's a real joy for me to be able to introduce Stephen. Um, we still we still don't know each other all that well. I think by the end of our conversation, we'll know each other even better. What, but I do know that Stephen, most importantly, Stephen is a rich hill man, and uh, and that's that's uh, that's that's enough for me. Um, so I love just for Stephen to introduce himself. Yeah. Hi everyone. Um, as uh, Nate says, I'm Stephen Blevins, um, and I am a, a resident a resident in Rich Hill. Um, I have been living here in Rich Hill for about 1993, and um, so I've been here quite a while now. Good. Uh, Stephen, tell us a wee bit about what family life things are, things that you're passionate about. If you, I'm a I'm a Leeds United fan, so uh, I know you're a passionate Man U fan. So maybe we could stay clear a wee bit from the the football passions. But anything else that you're passionate about, let us let us know a wee bit more. Let us get under the bonnet a wee bit more, if that's okay. No problem. Let's well, suppose I start a wee bit maybe from myself and family. Um, I'm married to Joanne. He is rich, born and bred as well. And um, she she was Joanne Brown. Um, her she's grown up here in Richelle all her life. Uh, as I said, we married in, in 1990, so we moved here in 1993. Um, we have raised our two daughters here, both grown up now. Um, so I'm uh, also a proud grandfather. My oldest daughter is married to uh, Danny, Hannah and Rachel, by the way, are their names. Uh, and uh, Hannah is married to uh, Danny, they live in Portadown. Um, now I'm, I've got two grandkids, Zach and Avery. And um, here are the uh, joy of our lives, really. We Stephen, I think I think you need to give people just a moment to pause. That, let them take in the fact that they cannot believe that you are a grandfather. So let's let people pause for a minute, get over the shock of that, and uh, continue. I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Joanne and I started our family young, and, and my daughter did the same thing. So I guess that's one of the reasons how I ended up being a grandfather quite young. But as I say, they're it's an, they're an absolute blessing in our lives. Yeah. We spend a lot of time with them. We look after them. My wife particularly looks after them on Tuesday afternoon. She only works part time, and um, so it's um, it's great that we get that time together. Um, people will might recognise me around Rich Hill, but uh, for my dog, I'm on the I'm on the walk a lot of times with Joanne. We walk a little cockapoo uh, around Rich Hill. We spend hours and hours on on the road, and I spent a lot of time doing that, particularly during this whole strange mm. year that we've all been living in. Um, people might also think they know me because I have a pretty, well, semi-famous twin brother, <laughs> an identical twin brother as that. So if you, if, you, if you know me or you know him, you know the other one as well. And um, David is the senior Irish correspondent on Sky News. So it's one of the reasons why when people come across me in the street, sometimes they think they know me. Um, but my, my, my background, um, my personal background is I am a teacher by trade, basically. I I, um, I taught um, for many years, for six years actually, in, in Portadown in, in Millington Primary School. Um, and then from there I moved out to what was the old Anna Moore Primary School um, as their vice principal. And I was only there three months when the principal decided to go and work for the, what was the education, uh, the Southern Educational Library Board at that time. So okay. um, I ended up being an acting principal at 28 years old. So I wasn't just a young father, a young grandfather. <laughs> I was also a very young school principal. I think I was the youngest um, in Northern Ireland probably at that time. So it was a, a very wow. steep learning curve. I took over the acting principal's job in that school while the school was in its 
centenary year as well. So you can imagine the joy and the pressures of all of that. My and then from that, I moved into Pocombra, primary school in Port of principal. And then it kind of went in a bit of a circle because I'm like more amalgamated and a brand new school was built out there. Some people will probably know it quite close to Ardmore Parish Church um, on the, on the, the okay. way. Basically on that road between Richard Lock Hall and the motorway. Um, and I was principal there up until about three and a half years ago. And then I made the move to what many teachers would call the dark side. And for the last <laughs> three and a half years, I have been a primary school and a preschool inspector. So um, people aren't just as keen to see me arrive at the school as it used to be a few years ago. But that, that's sort of my, my background in terms of my, my family and my work. But you asked me to talk about passion a little bit. You mentioned yeah. um, my football interest. I have a real passion for sport. I, I love yeah. I love any kind of sport. I'll watch anything. I've watched two plays climbing up a wall. I, <laughs> I, I love sport. Um, uh, and as, as I said, my family's very important to me. Um, my job and what I do is important to me. And my church and my faith is, is obviously very important to me as well. And they're, they're the key things, I suppose, I would call my yeah. passions. And you've already hinted in one of these as well. And maybe we'll come to it in a minute or two. But I, I do have a passion for this village and a passion for the future of this village. Brilliant. So hopefully that's, that's a bit of a... That's me in a nutshell, I hope. It's very good. No, thanks for thanks for that, Stephen. I just remembered, we can talk a bit about football, actually, if you want, because uh, last night was pretty good. <laughs> uh, I, have a, I have a good friend who's a Man United fan, and um, every I sort of felt found myself feeling a bit sorry for United over the last couple of years, and then whenever they got beat, whenever they hit, make their way back up to the top again, all these uh, negative feelings start resurfacing again so um, you just uh, you just don't know what you're going to get in there these days there you know we went through we spell of consistency which was quite nice there for us united fans but and obviously we had a lot of celebrations on, on last sunday past beating our our rivals liverpool but um mm-hmm. yeah, you just don't know what you're going to my oldest boy is a uh, I thought he would have grown out of it by now, but he's now turned 12, and for his 12th birth, 12th birthday, he wanted to away a Man United top, and see right. buying, see purchasing a Man United <laughs> top as a Leeds fan, it's a, it's a disaster. Well, my, my um, oldest, I've actually got two older brothers as well, and, and a sister, um, and my two, my oldest brother, Harry, he is actually the chairman, uh, come secretary of the Portadown Manchester United Supporters Club, so he actually uh, looks after, he's got four season tickets of his own at Old Trafford, and, and he, um, he's over there all the time. So I, I'm over there reasonably often. I've had the chance to get over a lot of times. And I've had the pr- a pleasure of being in cup finals, Wembley cup finals and stuff like that. So it's, oh, been, very good. it's, been, a, it's been a nice experience in recent years. And I have had the, I think I've been an editor from, from way back. I think the first match I ever remember is 1976. I remember it because Sonny McElroy scored a cup final that we were beating in. Sonny McElroy, of course, being Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, you know, so I went through all those years of misery before we before we had the <laughs> joyful years under Ferguson and then back into the building. Very good. Well, I can talk about football all night, but I see Andrew's eyes glazing over us, so we better. <laughs> well, I, I actually, I have a football story I can share. I have my one football story. What? Come on. Well, you see, the thing that most people don't know is that back back in school, like in primary school, or well, no, like first and second year, actually, um, everyone, everyone loved football. Everyone talks about football. You know, people collected stickers. You had to... You had to have some sort of passing football knowledge and and you had to have a team so i latched on to man united and it was like this was about 90 94 95 so uh, they were doing pretty well back then but that was like the the era of of um eric cantona and oh yeah um Giggsy and that's it Showing off that's, now, all, that's all i can off. remember <laughs> that's a long time ago <laughs> well done glory years 
you've, you've held on to that story for a few years now, Andrew. You'll have to you'll have to go and find a new story yeah. for for another day. <laughs> um, I I uh, yeah, I could talk about football all night. But anyway, um, I suppose just before we talk, before we do go back to Richel, Stephen Justice, you're talking about education there, and I know it's maybe maybe too fresh. We've just had this announcement today about uh, lockdown last lasting even longer. But just from like a your your expertise in that sort of world like what is your do you have any reflections or any words of hope or encouragement or something for for teachers or parents that that are hopefully listening into us tonight yeah well hopefully what i would i would say would be a real encouragement to to our our teachers our our classroom assistants our principals our school leaders out there and you know i really think passionately at the minute that teachers are really undervalued by this society Mm. You know, I, I see it every single day. Um, my role at the moment has changed from being actually going into schools to inspect. Because of the situation we're in, we're not able to do that. And my job has been much more about providing guidance and support to what I what are called my district schools. I have a certain number of schools that I, I'm their district inspector. And it has been, it's been, honestly, it's been humbling to sit and listen to school leaders and listen to teachers talk about their, their dedication just to, and their selflessness uh, in terms of what they're trying to provide for our children. And it's really, really challenging and difficult sometimes to read the negativity about our students and about our teachers um, online when I know that huge effort that's, that's going into it. Interesting thing that many, most people probably don't know about me is that while I was at um, Orchard County, I actually, uh, I'll say it open and honestly, I applied for the principal's post in the Hardy and I was number two. I was first reserve. Um, wow. And Elaine Anderson, who's the principal there, was appointed. And I knew Elaine really well because she taught with me in Millington. She was one mm-hmm. of the partner teachers with me in P7 in Millington. And I, I have this huge belief that when you push, you're supposed to push doors in your life and those doors mm-hmm. open, so you go through them. If those doors don't open, they're not meant for you. And very clearly, I have a, a total peace that that hardy job was not a job I was supposed to be in, maybe because it was too close to home or just maybe because I wasn't the right person for it. But I can also say for people that are listening in, in and around the Rich Hill community, Rich Hill is blessed, absolutely mm-hmm. blessed to have Elaine Anderson mm-hmm. as a principal of that school. She is so dedicated to what she does. She has she took over from a great man who was there a long time as well, dedicated to the job. Um, but she's taken it to a new level in many ways, and she has a staff who are motivated, um, and as I say, totally dedicated to providing the best opportunities. And it is extremely challenging for them. You know, that People forget yeah. that teachers are also parents, you know, and that. They're not only trying to provide the best for the kids they're supervising yeah. during the day and providing remote learning for and trying to provide feedback for. It's, it's massive for them. It's a huge challenge. But they're also going home and trying to be mummies and daddies and home yeah. educators themselves in the midst of it all. So it's, yeah. a, it's a particular challenge for them. And, and I honestly, it's been really, truly humbling to, to engage with them. Um, and be part of their decision-making processes over the last 12 months. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for – that's brilliant, Stephen. I, I, that has been one of the things for me, especially the last few weeks, uh, that recognition, because I think you're engaging with the teachers more than you've ever done before. Absolutely. And as you say, you get to know that actually they've, they're doing all of this work, all of this work online for so many people, and as you say, they're going back then to do it for their own families as well. And uh, I really value how you've honoured – uh, Elaine as well because I uh, I was I was part of the school whenever whenever Mr Woods was 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 principal yeah. uh, a, a lot of years ago and um, that's why I just love this like I I love my experience in, in primary school yeah. uh, so much so that 
me and my wife, we got married um, 14, 15 years ago. And we moved to Craigavon. And whenever our kids got up to primary school age, I started to uh, I started to sweet talk her into, can we go back home? I want to go back home to Richel. And, and so for, for our kids being part of Hardy, what Caleb's left, and we have another two that are still there. And we're hoping that our youngest will get into nursery now in the in September. So all of what you've said there, I just want to want to echo all of that. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I've had the pleasure actually of bumping into uh, Mr. Woods and his wife uh, a number of times. They're big Ulster rugby fans, as yes. am I, and I had the pleasure of bumping into them on a number of, of occasions. And it's great to see them. Uh, great to great to see them both healthy and both well because his wife had some health issues a while back. So. Um, no, my, my own children went to the Hardy as well, even though I was teaching different schools at the time. We left them here in the Hardy because we knew how good that, that reputation was and has been for a long time. Mm. Um, and then if you're willing, Stephen, just while we're still sort of t- reflecting a wee bit on what things have been like over the last year, uh, as 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 much as you're willing to say, what, is, what have been the highs and the lows that you've, that you've experienced yourself in your job or as family or, or just whatever you you want to say to that. Yeah, I, I, I guess, like most other people, there's an awful lot of lows at the minute. And, and one of the biggest challenges we all have is to try and keep that motivation and stay positive in, in what we do. Um, like everyone else, really missing seeing family regularly. My wife's an occupational therapist, Neil, who works in the community um, in okay. the Armagh. And, and so at the minute, she is in and out of homes literally on a daily basis where she knows the occupants have COVID. Um, she had a bit of a scare herself last week. And even though she's had her first vaccine now, um, guard she was working with and traveling actually with last week, um, tested positive. So we both had to be tested last week again. And, mm. you know, so because of her, because of her job, um, I haven't actually seen my own mum and my sister in the flesh for three weeks now. Uh, just I'm just trying to protect them. I just feel they're too vulnerable. Yeah. Never Joanne's parents. We're not seeing them anywhere near the way we'd like to, to see them because we just need to protect them. And um, so we're missing friends and family desperately like everybody else is. We, we generally, because we look after our grandchildren, we do see them because we're kind of in that bubble with them. We're allowed yeah. to do that, which is great to be able to continue to see them. Really missing, missing people from church a lot. You know, I am I'm one of the fortunate ones. I'm, I'm part of our tech team in Rich Hill Methodist. Um, so Nick uh, McKnight, who's our minister up there, doing live, is recording the service and doing live services um, on a Sunday morning. And, so every number of weeks, I'm actually as part of that, which is great. Funny, Joanne said to me last week, are you not tired of going up to doing that? And I says, what if I was tired about it? getting out of the house. It's a joy. It's mm-hmm. great to get out of the house. So it's even nice. It's funny, actually. It's even nice just to go into the building, just to be in the building and just, sure. just to be that piece of being in church. It's, it's a strange thing, but I, I actually really enjoy that. I enjoy that role. I can um, relate to that. But, sorry, is that again? I can relate to that. Uh, exactly. exactly. I, I, I just really enjoy it. I really do. But like everybody else, we're missing the cinema and sports, restaurants, all those sort of things. Yeah. But we have had some highs in the middle of it, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I, I, I turned 50 in, in the midst of the, uh, lockdown uh, in December. Um, now, I obviously wasn't able to celebrate it the way I usually would celebrate a 50th birthday, but it was great to have. It did give me the chance to have some some quality time with, with the family. Um, and I think probably the biggest high for us as a family it's probably been just the fact that this whole thing has forced us to reach the tech stock and just to stop and yeah. just to learn to breathe again mm. and just to learn to really appreciate and value what we have around us. I've never appreciated it more before. Joanne and I, for a very short space of time, uh, lived in town. Um, and it was really strange. How far to put it out away, like five miles. <laughs> and Joanne used to come in from working and she used to, she was working in Armagh and she used to come in the more, at night and go, 
like, you know what, I'm homesick. And it was a way we used to laugh at each other. And we lived a really short time in town because we made a decision. We actually said one day, um, I've always been, I suppose in the last 10 years, I've really started to reflect on what's, what's important to ensure good quality mental and emotional health. And, uh, you know, I said to Joanne one day, that for me, there's three things that really stand out. Either you want to see the sea as often as you can, see the ocean, or else you want to see blue skies as often as you can, or green fields. And I said, you know what, you see, you see we go back home, and we use that term to reach out. And, mm-hmm. you know, at least you're going to see those fields whenever you want to see them. You're going to see the blue skies, at least some days as well. And I thought there's two or three on a regular basis is probably the right thing to do. And never has that been more true than during this lockdown period mm-hmm. where we have really we've walked, walked miles and miles. And for the first time, actually, I, I trained at the University of Ulster in, in PE. Um, I spent a lot of time in the mountains. And it's funny, haven't been there for years, haven't spent time in the mountains. And because Joanne and I love spending time in New York, I actually... Hannah, our oldest daughter, was married out there. It's a special place for us as a family. Spent mm-hmm. a lot of holidays out there. And we had our holiday book there last year, and we didn't get like so many other people. But we were at the last minute able to uh, get a place book in the Lake District. And it really introduced Joanne to the benefits of getting up into the hills and up into the, the mountains and around the Lake District. And we ended up coming home and spending a lot more time in the around the moors. So for me, that has been a huge benefit. Um, it just reminded us of how, yeah. how special it is and how good it is for us to get up and do that. So yeah. probably, yeah. I would say those are the main main highs and lows for me personally during this yeah. during this period. Brilliant. Is there anything? Is there anything just when you're just when you're talking about the lows? There is there anything that you've particularly found helpful in in those moments? Any sort of rhythms or patterns that you've found that have just been helpful, sort of with your well being. Mental you know what? You, you just used words that I was about to use. Rhythm and pattern are absolutely essential for me. Yeah, you know, even yeah. though even though um, I'm working from home in a home office at the minute, and I have been from for I think I've been in six schools in a twelve month period. Usually we're in schools okay. every day, um, mm-hmm. so I spent so much time with so many other people. Seven, eight, nine hours a day screen time, which is challenging as you, as, as anybody does that would know. Um, and I, what I've tried to do, if John's getting up at seven o'clock to go to work. You know, I don't lie on my bed to half eight and jump on the office. I've tried to maintain the same patterns. I've tried to get mm-hmm. up at usual times. And instead of instead of having to spend that time driving to a school, which could be anywhere in the country, I might walk on the dog or taking a run. I'm trying to have trying to create that structure and trying to create those patterns. And as I said a minute or two ago, trying to really, really just embrace what's around us. Um, I've also found a little app, which I'm sure um, you're aware of. Uh, I've used it a lot. During the, the, the whole period um, of lockdown, um, I, Nick recommended it to, to us. Um, I'm trying to think of the actual title of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the one Is that, it the, the Lectio? Lectio. Lectio 365. Lectio 365. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I use that a lot out walking. Um, you know, just t- taking that time when you're in the fresh air and you're looking around you and just it helps you really focus on what they're talking about, I find. So Nick introduced it to us and I've continued to use that quite a bit. And I find... At times when I've been a little bit more stressed or COVID news hasn't been good at night in the news and just start to feel that little bit of tension in your body, I find that that relaxes me. Mm. Uh, just, it reminds me what, you know, we're not in control of all of this. There's much, yeah. there's much greater um, yeah. action and play, you know. Yeah, and it does seem so simple, but like, I, I, I relate to what you're saying. Even the very, the very opening part of that Lectio every morning is to breathe deeply. Yeah. And as weird as that sounds, that has been one of the things that I've had like I would never even have thought of that. I never have even contemplated breathing deeply in order to sort of settle myself or in order, yeah. order to refocus. But I just find that 
that's what I have to do. This idea, and I think you've sort of alluded to it, this idea of stopping and paying attention. And so whether that's with, with family or whether that's as you're out in a walk around your around your village, this idea of stopping and paying attention. And so I suppose it's, it's why we wanted to have some conversations as well, Stephen, because I think that's really important as we think about what we want to see happening in this community. We want to be able to... to to be able to stop and to pay attention and to listen to what's to what's going on in the lives of the people that we all share this this space with. Um, I don't know. You maybe you're aware, uh, Neil, that I have uh, I get on my Twitter soapbox every now and again. Um, <laughs> I, try, I try to try to do it as humbly as possible, which is hard on Twitter sometimes when people are are saying things which you fundamentally totally disagree with. But <laughs> you've probably seen this actually recently, and some of the people may be aware of this as well. But talking about that whole importance of embracing the nature and the environment around us. Um, just before Christmas, uh, I was on Amazon one day flicking through things and I spotted this little wildlife camera, an infrared wildlife camera, and I said to Joanne, there, that's what I want for Christmas. And I actually sent a photograph of it to you. I sent the link to one of David's cameramen, a guy called Graham McNeil. Um, some people may know from Portadown. And, and uh, I sent it to Graham and said, Is it, what's this? Is this any good? It's only 40 quid, um, but it looks good. And he sent it on to actually guy yeah, who does wildlife photography. And he came back and he said, listen, you can spend £40 that, um, or you can spend £400 in one. And, and that mm-hmm. one will do exactly the same thing. Other than it won't go directly to your phone or your laptop. You'll have to take a card out and take a bag and take a look at it. And, and I said to John, right, I'm gonna, let, let's get this. Um, because my grandson, Zach, is, uh, it gives me so much pleasure, but he's just a wee mini David Attenborough. He's just a wealth of information. He eats that. He tells me stuff. He teaches me stuff all the time. And he just loves all that outdoor stuff. And I said to Joanne, this is a great wee thing for me to be able to do with him. A little special thing, which is just ours. It's not my camera. It's our camera. And we had such... It's been unbelievable. Honestly, I've only used it properly twice. And I have been like a child using it. (laughs) It has been so rewarding. We have gone down, um, if anybody knows Rich Hill, there's a little woodland area um, between Menmouth Hill and Brentwood, basically. There's like a valley in there, and there's a bag uh-huh. of pine wood back onto it even as well. Oh, and yes. there's, there's little woodlands in there, right? It's privately owned. So I went up and had a chat with a farmer and said, listen, I've got this camera. you would be okay with me going in. And, and give me a, because I went nasty, I had no problems with that. Yeah. I put it down one night just after Christmas. And really easy to set up. And um, went back the next morning with, with Zach. Brought it, we lifted it straight away and we were able to check there's a little screen on it and we opened it up and we saw straight away we had recorded 192 images and the excitement on his face but what and I was oh, thinking man. there was also a coincidence because the first night it snowed and I thought I bet you get that 192 photographs of snow falling <laughs> and that's what triggered the camera yeah, but yeah. we brought it home and we were just overjoyed to find absolutely brilliant, brilliant images and videos of this wee fox we left some dog food in and around it and this little fox two or three times during the night had come along same wee fox, brilliant images. And then last week, I did the same thing again. Pure coincidence again, the night the snow fell heavily. And I got a cracking photograph in the daylight this time of a fox going past the camera. You know, and it's such brilliant. a simple thing, but so, yeah. so rewarding and such a brilliant way to actually embrace something. We had gone for loads of walks, Zach and I, across the field. Uh-huh. And he, he kept it. We actually found a fox skull one day and we, we saw sheep bones, and he, but never actually could find something living to talk about. So his excitement when we had oh, the brilliant. It was fantastic. So rewarding. So rewarding. You'll have everybody heading up to the farmer <laughs> during yeah, the week to see if they can set up their cameras. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like but just you like just you talking about your about Zach. I uh, my we my we youngest or she's not my youngest daughter. That's awful. She's my second youngest daughter. Um 
she is she's like a wee eco warrior. So it's like she said she said to me again today, Daddy, we have not went out and picked a rubbish up around the village in like two or three weeks. What when are we doing it? You know what I mean? And I like I love that. Like I I wanna be I wanna be the one to be to be pushing her and, and like but she's the one saying to me, Daddy, like we need to get back. Why do people keep doing it? And for some reason she has it. That's where our schools are undervalued. Eh? That's where they're yeah. undervalued. They are doing, and they are pushing that message out yeah. in such a positive way that our children are actually engaged and motivated and excited about it. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's special for me. Yeah, for some reason, she has it in for teenagers. She keeps asking me, "Daddy, why do the teenagers keep dropping all their stuff?" So, if any teenagers are listening, sorry about that. It's ama- It's amazing how one word from a teacher and it, it has given an explanation there. Probably like a teenager thrown out of the car, and that she's humming mm-hmm. that one word, isn't it? Amazing? She has. Like that would be like that would be like her, yeah. Um. So, so like I love all of that, Stephen, and and so you have touched on stuff that as as I've just as I've I think one of the things for me over this lockdown period is I probably you're you've mentioned at the start you're, you are passionate about this place, and uh, I'll go back we'll go back to that in a wee moment, but I. That's been the, probably the highlight for me over lockdown. It just increased my appreciation for this place and the people yeah. who make up this place, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was reading the book recently and it talked about this, the, the subtitle of the chapter was The New Commons. And so it, was, it literally was just talking about no matter who we are, no matter what our background or what we've done or where we come from, that there's things that we all hold in common as we share this space together. And I think we've like we've we've almost automatically touched on them all. The four things that they talked about was uh, the environment, education, um, economy, and civic. So like the, the government and within within leadership, and those are the four things that we that we share together. And without without uh, I was just reading a, a couple of months back. I was reading this quote from JFK that said, "Our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this small planet, and we all breathe the same air." And we all cherish our children's future, and um, and so there's just stuff like that that just like whenever I read that just stirs me again. And I know it's, he's talking about bigger, talking about the small planet, but I've come to realise that within the few square miles of this place, like we all share this. We're all going. We're all sharing this moment together, whether it's economy, environmental, education, or or, or civic. And um, and so I've just found that found that really really helpful as I've considered my own community engagement in my community response yeah the, pe- the people some of the people here are so committed to, to the village you know I, I did a, I did a little message through the Methodist church just before Christmas about hope um, mm-hmm. and I talked particularly about my sister who's, who's got severe disabilities uh, and um, I, I thanked uh, Ruth um, Briggs on it who does so much work alongside Alan, who you had on recently talking, uh, and um, a number of other people around the, around the village who worked so hard in that committee to make sure, you know, it just, that was one of the things that struck me during lockdown as well. Every time we walk into the village, there's new flowers, new planting. Um, even the local British Legion deserve a huge amount of credit for way, the way they look after the cenotaph down at the bottom of the town and, and the, the, just the way they honour those people who are remembered there. That's all mm-hmm. part of what is Rich Hill to me, and it's right. so important that all of that is valued and that's why I, I get such a kick out of you talking to your sister your daughter they're actually talking about her, you know her wanting to lift that, that rubbish it's, it's one of the things I could easily get on the soapbox actually I did that in Twitter not long ago I posted a picture actually I was out walking my dog one day and I saw this um, uh, Starbucks cup land with a name uh-huh. on it I'm not naming the name <laughs> but there's a name on it I took a picture and I said next time we drive yes. to the village quoted the name 
think about taking your rubbish home with you. You know, and that, so your daughter and I get on very well, I think. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, I suppose we've, as, we've, as we've talked, we've, we've sort of mentioned, we've sort of both of us have mentioned our mutual affection for this place. Is there, uh, I suppose just as we begin to wrap this up, like is there any sort of hopes and dreams or goals or ambitions that you have for, for this place? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I've got hopes and dreams for, for Rich Hill. Um, you know, it's, I suppose, probably ultimately, uh, my hope or my dream for this village was uh, would be that everybody who lives in this village are as part of this Rich Hill community. And, you know, regardless of your nationality, your culture, your religion, whatever that may be, it's just that they have the ability to live in respect and the value and to care for each other and to love each other for, for who we are as a village. Uh, and... You know, it's something I'm really passionate about. I mentioned earlier that I go to Rich Hill Methodist and we have been really blessed in that church for a long period of time. And the fact we had John Alderdice, we had Paul Ritchie and now we have Nick McKnight, three three absolute warriors who are, you know, they've really renewed those three guys in a row. Have They've left us in a place where we're not anywhere near the traditional Methodist church anymore. Um, yeah. They've totally reviewed, renewed our focus uh, and perhaps in some cases, maybe even introduce us to the concept that a faith is all about our relationship with God and all about grace and all about mm. love and absolutely nothing to do with finger pointing and hatred yeah. and the anger that it's just so stereotypical for what is Northern Ireland religion. You know, people, I absolutely hate the term if anybody said to me, oh, he's religious. I absolutely mm. hate that because I'm anything but religious. Um, I have a, my faith is so, is everything to me. But, yeah. you know, religion is nothing to me. And that, and, I, and that, I really, I suppose that's a bit of a passion of mine. It's, you know, I love the idea of actually really challenging that stereotypical view of what's accepted as our Northern Ireland priorities in many ways, I suppose, are your cultural heritage, then your religion, then God. That's, that's yeah. the order they're kind of put in. And it should be completely the other way around. And it's accepted. Mm-hmm. It's, it's widely accepted in so many circumstances. You know, Nick, Nick talked about it actually on, on Sunday in many ways. I, I think I told you before, actually, Neil, in speaking to you, probably one of the, the most important, one of the most important verses for, for me in the Bible is, is in uh, our chapter, sorry, is in Matthew 22, when the Sadducees asked Jesus about the greatest commandment. And he, and he replied in verse 37 saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the mm-hmm. first and greatest commandment. And then he said in the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And it amazes me how many people just absolutely ignore that. That commandment, said, as Jesus quoted it, to be the second most important commandment we've got. And we put it so far down the list of priorities. And if we could get that as a much higher priorities, mm. I think we could get a village into a place where we, it's a much more, even more welcoming place, an accepting place uh, of who we are. And I was going to say, Nick touched on it also on Sunday when he, he preached from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, um, and he talked about the deliberate misinterpretation of biblical laws by the Sadducees again earlier mm-hmm. earlier in the in the book um, for their personal gain and that, honestly that really frustrates me when I see that in our in our lives today um, mm-hmm. you know I think what Nick talked about was Jesus saying that he was teaching in these verses that murder is not just something you do with your hands it's also something you do with your heart and he, he really emphasised the fact that the, the, the sharpness of our words were as deadly as the sharpness of our blades and you know and, and to me that's where faith needs to go to in this country and, and mm-hmm. this with this this with this community needs to go to as well yeah. to, to much much a place where we're at peace with each other and we're at peace with ourselves and all the hatred's gone we see it every day in our news but it's on we see it today even from our mps or mlas we hear those comments which 
are just full of anger. And you know, it's something, even though I am passionate sometimes about what I write on Twitter, I like to think that I'm trying my best to be passionate in a respectful way, which also values somebody else's opinion. And, and, and yeah. Twitter's maybe a really interesting place to try and do that because as everybody knows, it can be hateful at times mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. You know, and it's when, when I see people talking about Christianity, are talking about religion that they do tend to in this country rather than about Christianity. It really frustrates me when I don't see what I see, what I call the most important things, the fruits of the spirit. When you don't see that kindness, you don't see that goodness and the faithfulness. And that, I suppose, I don't get it right. Absolutely, I get it wrong all the time. But it's yeah. the thing that it's the lens that I'm trying to look at my own life through more and more, and, and being harder and harder on myself as I watch my daily walk and, and through life, not just as mm-hmm. a Christian walk, but, you know, and, and trying to ensure that the, mo- the model I'm given or the example I'm given is of those things, is of that, is of that kindness, you know. It's it's something that really, stu- really stood out to me. I, I mentioned it before on Twitter again last week about when it comes to, when it comes to people or it comes to world leaders or it comes even to school principals, I am much more drawn to the person with that grace, that person mm-hmm. with that gentle voice, rather than that person mm-hmm. who's out there ranting and raving. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just who I am, and I think it's because I see that in them, uh, and I, I, well, I trust that's what I see in them. Oh man, that's so good. I, I can, I can listen to you go on about that for, for so much longer. I think it's honestly, Stephen, I think it's really, really important. It's really powerful, and uh, it just so happened to be that me and Nick, I did we. Although we're, we uh, we engage quite often, I'm a huge fan of Nick. Really grateful for his really grateful for his friendship and his and his commitment to this village. And uh, but we've both been going through Matthew five, I believe. Yeah. Um, you must be going on further. We just did the Beatitudes. But for me, that was that like that was remarkable. For me, it was I was communicating at our church. But for me, it was one of those moments where it was like that. Like this is what this is what it's all about. I just want to I just want to be. I just want to grab hold and take of all the other stuff that's going on. This is this is the truly the way of Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and so and even more recently, I I think one of the things we need more than anything at the moment is is patience, patience with each other, patience with those that we rub shoulders with, um, patience with ourselves. And I think it's it's no coincidence that Paul used that as his first uh, characteristic of love in in First Corinthians fourteen that love is patient. And those few verses before that, Stevens, I'm listening to you again. I, that's 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 my that's maybe it's a fear of mine sometimes actually that that in how we communicate uh, Christianity or how we communicate the way of Jesus that if it's not with love, we're just a noisy gong, we're a clanging symbol, and the thought of of giving my life and at the end of it, I've just been making a, a load of racket and a load of noise. Yeah. I, I can't bear the thought of that, and so. Like you, I'm just asking, like, how do we how do we love our neighbour really, really well? Um, earlier today, um, I saw a, a teacher, a principal, talk about the value of a Syrian boy who'd come into his school not that long ago um, mm-hmm. and ended up over a very short space of time for not being able to speak English. This was a post-primary school. This boy became the head boy in the school. And the principal was oh. talking about the experience and the, what that was like for him. And I, I am so blessed that I've had this very similar opportunities, particularly working in Bacombra in Portadown, because it's very close to hospitals. So we had a lot of Indian families, Filipino nurses' families, um, Chinese doctors' families. And, you know, we also had some um, Eastern Europeans as well. And I, and I, never, I tell people this story all the time. I had a, a, a little girl 
who was brought up to our front door on the first day of September, and she was standing in the Killigamain junior high school uniform. The vice principal had brought her up. She had gone to Killigamain, and she had she had got a place in that school. And what they hadn't realised was that she'd given slightly the wrong date of birth. She was a year too early. So they brought her up on the first day. She couldn't speak one word of English, and the, and this was the first of September. See, in December that same year. She was translating in my office for another Russian family being shown around oh. school. And I tell you, talk about humbling. And you see their work ethic. They are such an example. And I, that that gave me, I suppose, something we did actually in church a long time ago now. It must be 15 years ago. Um, we had we did those, uh, um, is it, what's it called again? ESOL, English as a Second Language. Oh, yes. Those yeah. classes, yeah. we ran those for a while. And I volunteered because I was a teacher. And it was such an such a really rewarding opportunity to to actually get to be able to dig deeper and get to meet people and understand people. Yeah. And we it turned out we I was playing football at that time, um, and uh, I had I introduced one of the guys to Lockall Football Club. He ended up playing first team football at Lockall. He ended up coming to he, he he was a trained PE teacher and he's working on the factory line here. Um, we he wasn't a, we brought him to our house and we we had meals with them. Paul and Caroline Ritchie were with us at the time. We had, we had nights together with him in our homes, and he said to us that one night, you know. Sophie and I'd really love to bring you guys back, but we're not allowed to have visitors in our homes. And we said, well, tell you what, that's not a problem. You cook for us in our homes next week, you know. <laughs> and, and Sophie, his his partner at the time, they're now married, she, um, and they're now back home living in Poland, but she she ended up playing um, the piano in our church on Christmas Eve one year, and it was, it was hardly dry in the house, as people yeah. pictured the world that they'd come from and the journey they'd come on and the challenges they were facing. She was a trained paramedic. He was a trained PE teacher, the two of them working on a factory line here to try and make ends meet. Um, but it was, yeah. it changes you. Those experiences change you and introduce yeah. you to something. I think that's something we all need, and particularly this country. We need to widen those horizons. We need to get those yeah. opportunities and meet those people and be open to what we can learn from them. Yeah. I love that you've, I love that you've used that story, Stephen, because that, that idea of you having them around your table for dinner, like I, I, that is, it's in many ways for people listening, it probably seems like the most simple task. But I think this, I, just just to follow on some of the language you're using, some of the language I find myself using is how do we extend our tables? And I know this is a difficult conversation at the minute because we're not allowed anybody into our homes. But as we as we move on from here, like what, like the, I think that is the most important. How do we how do we extend how do we extend our tables? Because I, I look at the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's either or he's coming from a meal, or he's sitting down at a meal. And so I think it truly is the way of Jesus whenever we extend our table, and uh, and that's where like those relationships and loving our neighbour really well happens, isn't it? Absolutely. As you well know, everybody has got their own personal opinions on whether they're a Trump fan or whether they're a Joe Biden fan, and everybody's very passionate oh. about those views. I'm not <laughs> going to go into that, but that actually was my favourite quote from from last week when during that inauguration or after when Joe Biden actually said and I'm, and I'm not saying that he Joe Biden's the answer to all our problems in this world because they, they've both got their strengths and their weaknesses let's put it like that but you know what he did did you hear that quote where he said we don't need longer walls we need we don't need, we don't need bigger walls we need bigger tables okay yeah that yeah and that uh, that's so it's, it ties in perfectly what you're saying brilliant um yeah Stephen uh, um I was uh, I was looking through your Twitter. Uh, sorry, just to, just to kind of get to know you a wee bit before I met you. But I kind of get an impression that there's there's um, from between kind of the sports stuff, but there's the reactions and stuff you're having with people online, and it, um, there 
are kind of old, I, I guess probably old thoughts and old ways of thinking that are still kind of about, um, and you're challenging those. And I suppose my question is, I know for me that I have, I have a bit of a fear of coming outside out of this lockdown and going back to the way things were. Um, I'm excited to see where how things are going to change, and I get from the impression of you, you're itching for some something different the other side of the lockdown. Um, whether it's in the education or you, you're even talking about um, you know getting outside and getting. Um, in the nature and stuff a bit more and what are your uh what are your kind of dreams what's what do you, what would you like to see change you're you're probably right paul i suppose i've always been the type of person that wear my heart on my sleeve i describe myself as that and even though you know i even though it's difficult to do that um probably particularly in the, in the country we live in you have to be very careful sometimes about your viewpoints and, and particularly in person boundaries or changing things which have been tr the traditional norms for so long um, you know but you're absolutely right I, I do feel that is a passion of mine to a certain extent but it's something it's something that's a really challenging thing to do it's really I find it particularly challenging to do it in a way in, in, in a way that also still continues to show that patience and that love to people instead of of coming across as being indignant and being listen I know better than you you know I think one of our biggest faults in this country is I think we don't have enough confidence in ourselves at times and I think people tend to somebody has a difference of opinion in this country we think he thinks I'm an idiot he thinks I'm not as educated as him. He thinks because he went to university, he knows better than me. I, I think it's a real problem with our country, and we need to get past that as people. We need to realise that a difference of opinion does not mean that somebody thinks any you know, any less of you. It just thinks, you know, I, I'm a great believer in any one of us could have been born anywhere in the world. It really frustrates me when people talk negatively about asylum seekers or about people on boats trying to cross an ocean. That really mm -hmm. frustrates me because I, what well, I, I say to them all the time, it's only by the grace of God that we were born here and we live here and we have that choice. You know, any one of us could be on that boat. And I keep saying to people all the time, do you really believe that people are on that boat by choice or are they on that boat because mm -hmm. they have no other choice? They're risking their family's lives to be there. And, and I'm, I suppose I try to, I try to, have some of those conversations it's difficult it's difficult on twitter because people just want to have a go straight at you and um, particularly faceless people um david gets a lot of abuse my brother on twitter because of the nature of his job and he has to be so mm. neutral in the way he reports uh, and people sometimes don't understand that and, and the challenges come from people who are faceless i love having a good open debate and respectful debate with people but it's a it's a challenging thing here but it's not going to stop me trying to do it paul it's something i'm going to continue to try to do uh, in the hope that I've got real, I've got real confidence in the next generation. People talk negatively about the younger generation, something. But see an example they used tonight about his, his daughter. I hear that all the time. I see that all the time in our primary schools. Um, I hear from my own daughters. My own daughters correct me, and rightly so. At times, you know, I can say something which I think is okay to say, and they'll say that's not okay to say. You know, that that that's that's actually that still comes across as homophobic, or that still comes across as racist in some way. And you're not even aware you're actually you don't mean it in any way like that. Obviously, it's not a deliberate thing, but you could be saying something which just they're saying that's that's mm. really open for debate that the way you the way you're saying it. and they, they're teaching me sometimes uh, and the way they're teaching me they, they're, they're teaching me respectfully um mm -hmm. and, but i suppose that's where the confidence comes from I, I have to get better at saying you know what you're absolutely right i think i am getting better at them i tell you differently but i hope i'm getting <laughs> better at it and um, 
But I think we as a, as, a, as a community and we as a country just really need to get so much better at listening to others, having a much more open mind uh, and, and thinking, you know what, maybe there is a different way of doing this. There's a different way of thinking about that, not just necessarily the same way that I've been taught to think from the day and hour I was brought into a home. Um, and unfortunately, that's the biggest challenge we have to overcome. People think it, it's because that's what I've been told from my mother, my father, my brother. And, um, you know, and if, some people probably think I'm an absolute idiot on Twitter and fair play to them. They're totally entitled to that, to that right. But I, I've, I just feel it's important that someone's not afraid. And it's the same. I do it, I do it a bit in my job. Um, I have to be careful and do it in my job because officially I'm a civil servant and I officially do work under the umbrella of the Department of Education. So even though I might at times have a difference of opinion uh, from the Minister of Education or from the department, I can't I can't publicly put that out on the likes of Twitter. Um, but um, you do have a voice still in terms of in terms of my job as well because I, I think quite a few people who follow me knew I was a principal for many years and then now know I moved into a different role within education. And I think for that reason they do still they are still interested in listening to me and, and i'd like to think you know i have a balanced view when it comes to education you know i do respect those efforts that teachers are putting in and that's one of the biggest challenges that our education workforce has at the minute they just feel undervalued and they don't they don't I think everybody thinks there's so many negative comments about oh look at those holidays they get what are they complaining about now that's just that's just a regular comment you see all the time and, and and you know I think they do appreciate when I actually come up front and say these people are doing a good job under really difficult difficult circumstances and they need support to do that job. Well, I think I hope anybody that's listening to this, Stephen, that thinks you're an idiot on Twitter, I hope they've they've heard your heart at least, and that, and that, that's the most important thing. Is I I, I think. I think you're right. Sometimes we can shy away from saying too much because I'm always afraid my tone is going to be misunderstood. Absolutely. But, yeah. but, so, but, but I appreciate I appreciate this conversation because some things could be, you could put a certain tone or a certain twist to what somebody communicates, but I think it's a huge difference when somebody knows your heart. Yeah. And, uh, I think I think it's a confidence that causes that. Maybe exactly I've just been talking about. I think people read something completely differently the way it's meant sometimes because of their own lack of confidence. They think it's an attack on them, but it's not. Quite often, mm-hmm. you're actually semi-agreeing with that person, you know. Yeah. But you're yeah. you're right. Absolutely agree. With you. Yeah. Well, I, like honestly, we could go on for a long time about this because I I I think you're right. I I think it's some of the stuff that we hold on to, not because we even believe it. It's almost out of fear. It's almost out of fear of some of the things that we've held on to for so long that actually we we can be a bit uncertain about it and we it's almost fear that causes us to lash out sometimes at people yeah. but that's a that's a that's a, a bigger conversation maybe for uh, for maybe for part two but I think for for uh, for the sake of your time Stephen I know we've went on but I really want to honour your time and thank you so much for for giving of it tonight uh, I'd love just to ask um, finish off with this just if there's something that you have been watching that or something that you've been listening to, something that you've been reading that you could recommend to us. We're back in lockdown for another few weeks, so anything you're watching, listening, or uh, reading that you could recommend to us in Yeah, closing. well, like everyone else, John and I have, have been very dependent at times on, on Netflix, like everybody else has. Yeah. But I, I suppose the thing that, something I didn't mention earlier, which is also, I had a chance to do a little bit more of during lockdown, is actually read. Um, I was not a big reader for many years, and I've started to read more as I've got older. Um, big fan of historical fiction. I love, you know, books like The Tattooist, The Vice or All the Light You Cannot See. And I love all Victoria Heslop-style books, where there's a 
a historical thread going through that read game fiction Australia. I love all that. But probably my, my most enjoyable read during this whole period, I would recommend it to people, is a book called A Man Called Ove, Scandinavian writer, a guy called Frederick Backman. Basically, it's about this really grumpy old man, um, real solitary figure, lives alone, and suddenly, he's like, supposed to, supposed to best get described as like most men when they had about middle age going towards 50 going on 60, you know, they're starting to get grumpier and grumpier all the time and, and everybody's complaining about that. But Ove's whole world is just turned upside down and this real young family moves in next door. Uh, he's the kind of guy who just like would point the finger at people in public. They're just people he dislikes, you know, and when you first read it, you're going this, you know, you're laughing a bit at it. It's well written because you laugh because you see yourself, but truth be told, any, any middle-aged man sees himself, I know. But he's got real strong principles, real strict routines, all those things, and a real short fuse too. But ultimately, people think he's a really bitter neighbour. But um, it turns out probably that in many ways, when this new family and this young family moves in, uh, um, it leads to a really comical, heartwarming story um, and a really unexpected friendship. That, mm -hmm. And that really, really challenges the reader and challenges me about all those preconceptions we've been talking about all night wow. about in our community and about the people we see all around us. And I suppose in many ways perfectly underlines the importance of that demand on us to be paying. Yeah. I suppose that book just encapsulates all that for me. Very good. Yes, so little. I'm in. <laughs> Brilliant, Stephen. Andrew, Paul, anything from you guys? Yeah, definitely. Sounds like there's going to be a, a to be continued with this, Stephen. So thanks. Yeah, no problem. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoyed having a good chat with you. Thanks for being on. Uh, if you've got any, uh, if you've got any good wildlife photos, we'd love to we'd love to see them. Yeah, see something. Okay. Follow me on Twitter there, and that's where I post them because I've got it's amazing the response I've got from those. People have really enjoyed it, you know. People, I think yeah, great. People have, 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 I think they've seen the, the, the West turned me back into a wee boy in the excitement. <laughs> really so I'll definitely keep posting them there. Good, buddy. Thanks. We'll have to get a few of those to go along with the uh, with the podcast. Yeah, certainly. You can pick. You can probably pick them up, or if you want, I ping them to you. If it's easier, if it's better. Super. That's great. Yeah, honestly, Stephen, thank you so much. I've, I've really enjoyed it. There's there's three or four things I feel I can just keep... I've, all, I've restrained myself from just like pushing in even further. Um, but uh, thank you so much. And, uh, Thanks for having me. Appreciate your passion and your commitment to this village and all of those other things that you're involved in. And uh, yeah, again, thank you so much, Stephen. We'll chat again soon. Ordinary People was hosted by Neil Dawson. And it was produced, edited, and engineered by Andrew Gribben and Paul Woods. Head over to OrdinaryPodcast.com for show notes, links, previous episodes, and all the ways you can contact the show. See you next time.